You are listening to Bear in Mind, the University of Northern Colorado's official podcast. Join us each episode as we listen to the voices from UNC faculty, staff, students, and alumni as they offer insights of local or national importance. This is your host, Dan and Cox, bringing you just a taste of UNC. You know, college was always, you know, in the mix. It was always part of, part of the family um, expectation. With that also was this expectation of, of going on a mission for our church. And, um, and, and I did, and I did so. When I was 19, I was sent to Nicaragua, which at the time, I mean, it was, it was the mid-90s. And, and let's be clear, I did not speak Spanish before I went. And I had a, a very Im- immersive experience, what we call immersion, um, in language acquisition, right? It, it was an experience where I lived with people and um, I spent two years um, in Nicaragua. So there were months that I went without um, hearing English or speaking English. We spent time um, in service. So we would, we would do service um, projects, we would work with people. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many latrines I dug um, and did a number of things like that. So it was service and then we also did teaching. I mean, that was part of it as well. And I found and I learned that teaching was really part of who I, who I was and who I am. And in fact, you know, when, when I got back, it was, it was interesting to note um, I got back and people would ask me where I was from because I spoke with such an accent. <laughs> it it yeah, really stuck English. with you, yeah. yeah the, the English that I spoke was with such an accent that people wondered where I was from. <laughs> and if you look at me, so I know this is being re- audio recorded but not video recorded. So um, if you look at me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gringo, right? I'm, I'm um, white um, and um, light-skinned, right? So... Um, it was it was always this interesting paradox, and so with that came these these realities um, and the recognition of of the differences of people, because I, being um, being white, and speaking Spanish, it was thought of as being unique and special, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas people who are Latino, if you have brown skin. Right? It's like, wait, you don't speak Spanish? And it, they're thought down on. And, and if they do speak Spanish, it's like, oh, yeah, big deal. You know? And I was something unique. I was special. I was somehow smart. And so when I returned, I spent 14 years in, in schools. I spent um, time in elementary schools, in middle schools, and in high school. Um, I taught fourth grade and fifth grade. I taught sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And then I taught high school. And I spent six years in the principalship. Um, you got the gambit. Yeah. So I had all of these experiences. And with the experiences that I've had in schools, I've seen the ways in which people or students, kids, their parents or families have lived in, I, I guess, you know, some people might call it the margins of society, but it wasn't their choice to do that. Right? This was our society, this was our system that has really placed these individuals in these, pla- in these positions. And so let's take an example, okay? We've got um, a kindergarten student, a five-year-old, who shows up to school who's a monolingual Spanish speaker, right? Because they only speak Spanish at home. They show up to school and their kindergarten teacher is 
a monolingual English teacher. That teacher is teaching math, that teacher is teaching the foundation of literacy skills, right? Reading and sometimes social studies and science and art is teaching. How much does that student hear that teacher teaching? Well, nothing. They don't hear anything. They don't understand anything, right? So while all of the peers are learning about math and are getting those foundational skills in numeracy and those foundational skills in literacy, that student is still trying to acquire enough English to really understand what the teacher is saying. And a child is getting left behind. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the irony of it all, isn't it? Jim Cummins characterized um, and described two types of, of English language, let's say, or language. You've got academic language, uh, cognitive academic language, proficiency, and then basic interpersonal communication, okay, skills. So kids, by the time they're in second grade and third grade, they've got this interpersonal ability. They can talk, right? We, we can have a conversation um, because they've been on the playground, they've been playing, you know, they've acquired a lot of English in that way. But what they lack often, because they were never, never given this, is that academic language because in the classroom they never understood it. And so by the time they're in second grade, the teacher looks at them and goes, you speak English though, why don't you understand what I'm saying? And it has nothing, it, it has a little bit to do with the language, let me correct myself, has, has something to do with the language, but specifically it has everything to do with the vocabulary that most kids were taught when in kindergarten about addition and subtraction. And we take these numbers and we do these things with it that they never learned in that way. They never had that progression of getting some of those basic skills in a way that they understood it, mm -hmm. right? That was comprehensible to them. And so then we ask the question, well, why are they so far behind? Well, they started behind and there was nothing. And, and this was systemic. This was our systems problem. It is a systemic issue. We did it to them. We told them they were dumb. They told, we told them they couldn't do math. And then it just kind of continues over the years. What I'm working right now is a case about a school that did some fundraising things. It was a high poverty school with high percentages of, of students of color. And students had to raise $15 for a readathon which in essence was getting $15 from people at home. And this is a high poverty school. Is, it, is, this, is this equitable when we ask students in poverty to raise money from their own families who live in poverty for something in the school? Granted, it would benefit the, the kids, ideally, right? And teachers worked hard to develop this idea of coming up with this fundraiser, don't get me wrong. But the outcome is the problem where we're asking kids who are poor to give money to the school. We're asking their families to do this. And then the students who didn't get or didn't bring money didn't get the reward of bringing money. And the interesting thing about this specific case is there was a parent who decided to fundraise on her own to make sure that all the kids, so this parent had some, had a network of, of people who had money and asked them to donate some money 
so all kids could participate in this fun in this reward for raising money and this parent was reprimanded by the school district and was told that she couldn't do fundraising for the school in the way that she wanted to do it she set up a gofundme page and was told that you can't do that that there was a district policy that prevented get this school personnel to set up gofundme pages she was not acting on behalf of school personnel she was acting on behalf of of her own idea to raise money to fund those 43 kids who weren't going to be provided this reward for raising money in a high poverty school so this is a fascinating case right of 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 inequality of of inequity in a system and it's a very complex case as well of the interactions that occurred and the lack i would say of reflectiveness right of of being a reflective practitioner on behalf of the school personnel of saying huh maybe there is something that we should question about this my name is jacob d scousen and i'm an assistant professor in educational leadership and policy studies at the university of northern colorado we have this view that leadership development is on a continuum as leadership would as the the scholarship would suggest that leadership is a continuous developmental process it's not something that occurs over a short period of time right the the five semesters or the couple of years that you're in a program that and your study leadership is is not the end of it right just like the end of teaching doesn't happen you know, you go through your, your college of teacher ed, right, your, or school of teacher ed, and you get your teaching credential, and that's, well, I know what I need to know about teaching, and I'm done. You know, it doesn't occur that way. We continue learning about teaching, and, it's, and it is a continuum, and there's lots of growth that occurs, depending on where you are in your career and your experiences. We need to look at it differently, and I think that's part of what our program tries to do and tries to ask our students, right? Tries to ask our teachers who are in our program, what is it that we need to do and how are we going to do it? One of the things that I typically say to my students is this, it, because they're always asking, what's that? What are the characteristics? What do I need to be as a principal so I can be the most successful? And my response is usually something like this. Well, I have a couple of responses, but mm-hmm. one is, you know, if there was if there were one right answer that for leadership that was effective in all contexts at all times that book would have been written that person would have made millions and we wouldn't need libraries of books on leadership <laughs>